HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with the lovely Julia Bainbridge, food editor at Yahoo Food. So I want to preface and thank everybody. This is episode 200. And it's taken me 200 episodes to realize that we have sound effects. I don't know why those aren't intermixed within every show. I hide them for special occasions. <laughs> from now on. But thank you, everybody here at Heritage, for making this. It wasn't even a dream. I didn't even think I would ever be doing this once, yet alone for over four years. But it's been a wonderful what are you ride. What to do to celebrate? Have you on the show. Oh. That's, that's what oh, I was hoping for. Too? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> do you have a... I've already popped a bottle of champagne in here a few episodes ago, so that that was a celebration in and of itself. Right on. Congrats. Thank you so much for being on. You are not only a, a wonderful editor, writer, but a dear friend. And it, it's been very interesting uh, and, and eye-opening to know you and know food at the same time because your sense of style and fashion and, and the way you set a scene... You know, whether it be visually or, you know, on the page or on a website is, is unlike any other that I've seen. You, know, you have such you swagger. you say that's to all you. the girls? No, no. You can go 200 <laughs> episodes in archives and see that I don't. But well, it, it started somewhere. And the first thing I ask of you is I want to see your natty bow face. Can you do a natty bow face? Oh, my gosh. I don't even know what that you mean, like of the guy on the natty bow. Yeah, yeah. Can you do the face? Um, I can do a face of what I look like after many natty bows. 
<laughs> I, I forget we're radio too, and no one else can actually see this. So I'm going to say that was an excellent Natty Bowface you just pulled. Thank you. Tremendous. Thank you. But years gr- of work. <laughs> growing up in Maryland, were you in Baltimore proper or? Yes. Well, I sort of am like half and half city and country girl. So I grew up um, in Roland Park, which is like technically within the city, and then half of me um, was out with my grandparents um, on the horse farm. So. I'm country a little bit, but yeah, horses and lacrosse is what you told me before <laughs> the show. Yeah, I know. They always said, what was it, that movie that said, like, crab cakes and football, the wedding crashers? That is not Maryland in my experience. Really? It's, uh, yeah. Are there it's, are no it's, crab cakes? No, there are definitely crab cakes, but the football part, I mean, lacrosse is really is a thing. Lacrosse in Maryland's like football in Texas. It's a, it's a religion. So, with that Native American thing going on, are there other Native American food traditions? Like, Pemmican, and I only know that because I'm a jerky addict right now. Uh, no. No? <laughs> <laughs> Just, no, not to, not. Absolutely none. Not that I'm aware of. Crabs, crab cakes, pit beef. This was part of your life as well. Yeah, so, I mean, that ties into lacrosse. Pit beef was just something that, um, like, was at every game. I mean, that was tailgate food. I don't know exactly how it's all prepared. I know it's a big hunk of, um, like, some some round, you know, <laughs> eye rounds, and um, really uh, slathered in a dry rub that, you know, seeps its way into the center over many hours, and then it's... Um, seared and cooked low and slow. And then it's the, the, the things I do know and I feel passionate about regarding pit beef um, are, are in the condiments or lack thereof. So, you know, it's the beef on a Kaiser roll, raw onions, and either mayo or like a horseradish sauce. And that's it. It's kind of like the idea of Old Bay seasoning. Like, there's that and nothing else. Right, right. And Old Bay is... Why, you want to talk about crabs? Yeah, let's talk about crabs. (laughs) I mean, Old Bay seasoning is a Baltimore or Maryland staple. Yeah. And I know I've shipped it internationally to chefs who are like, oh, can you send me some of that Old Bay? Like, it's crack. Like, it's like... Yeah, totally. I mean, now you can find it elsewhere. It's so funny. I remember years ago bringing Old Bay to... like a boyfriend's father as a host gift who lived in Connecticut. And I thought it was something really special. And um, later I learned like he could just get it at his grocery store. So, so I, I think that's good for Maryland old Bay is, you know, making the rounds. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, all I'll say about crabs because, you know, I don't want to be the Maryland girl who talked about crabs the whole time, but steamed, not boiled, slathered in old Bay, uh, steamed over a mixture of water, beer and vinegar. Um, there should be enough Old Bay that if it seeps into any, like, paper cut on your lip or fingers that may come from, you know, taking the thing apart, it should sting. Um, like cauterizing sting. Yes, yeah. yes. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Oh, I say eat as you go, although I remember growing up, my brother's friend had this really funny sort of, sort of like dangling it in front of your nose, sort of sort of a hoarder mentality, maybe, I don't know. He would pick through all the crabs. You know, you're sitting around a round table or whatever, and there's newspaper down, and you've got beer, and your hands are just covered, and that, that's the experience, right? He'd pick through all the crabs, which takes a lot of work, at leaving this pile in front of him that he would then eat all at once at the end. You know, so we were left like salivating when we had picked, you know, been eating as that, we go. That and doesn't feel through. like a shared experience. That yeah, almost... it doesn't. It doesn't. I, 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 uh, I should see where he is now. What, what <laughs> sort of profession that sets see, him up see for? See how that style of eating has equated into his everyday life. Yeah. He's actually a hoarder. Right. So just watch that show and maybe he'll well, pop Well, then up. all the meat's cold, too, by that time. So No, you got to slurp with the others. Yeah. Chris, incorrect, wherever <laughs> you are. Growing up, 
you weren't the cook of your family, your parents not even so much, but your grandmother. Tell me what kind of cook she was and what she used to make. Yeah, well, in my mother's defense, she did cook every day. There, you know, we were a family of six. There were four kids within, uh, yeah, four kids within six years. You know, so at one point, it's like she's got four kids all under the age of six. That's, you know, a lot. And we, we sat down and had dinner together every night. So while... And Bainbridge, I'm sorry, it wasn't always great. <laughs> it was home-cooked, and we had that sense of community around the table and conversation. And um, and so that uh, has definitely influenced me. It's funny now that we're all out of the house. She's become a great cook because it's not a chore anymore, and she's having fun with it. She's um, only cooking for a few rather than Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a great baker. She experiments. I get little photo updates of chowder she's made it's like why why now mom why now (laughs) um but yes my grandmother um who is from virginia was was the great cook and so in a way you know although where i grew up is technically below the mason dixon line i don't consider myself from the south um but i did kind of have a little bit of that southern culture um from my grandmother who would make things like fried green tomatoes and um you know biscuits and um, Virginia ham and things like that, but it's you know pecan pie. She made a really good pecan pie, and I think you know it's funny how your perception changes, right? You may have experienced this too. Um, like growing up, I think compared to my mom, I thought, and, and because I don't know, we all amped my grandmother up. It was like she she was the best. She you know was had this old school way of cooking, and you know sort of this rusty way of cooking. And now that I've this has become my profession, and I have a culinary degree, I I come back to it and realize like. It actually wasn't all that great, you know, and, and actually, like, I've surpassed her in terms of skill level. But I guess in the end, that isn't the point. And I think that's not the point of, of I mean, sure, I, I like eating good food, but it's it's more um, as too easy as it sounds about, you know, the the shared experience um, and and uh, feeding your friends, sort of filling their bellies, making them happy. Um, I mean, an example of that is I go to my grandparents' house. They're both still alive and uh, in their mid-90s and rocking out. And they have a happy hour every evening these days at around 5. And they make old fashions for themselves. And they are shit. I mean, they make my grandfather, I think, just because it's called Virginia Gentleman, makes his old-fashioned with Virginia Gentleman whiskey, <laughs> which is the crappiest stuff, in my opinion. Um, and it's all wrong. The ratios are out of whack because, you know, their taste buds aren't as sharp as they once were. But, I mean, it really doesn't matter. It's like, oh, this lovely experience we all have together. And I love that they take the time to still concoct. You know, I mean, a cocktail isn't just pouring something, you know, wine from a bottle into a glass. There's some ceremony around it. There, there are, um, you know, there's... A, a squeezing of a lemon or, you know, and it's sort of this little, this little presentation and ceremony that they enjoy uh, every day. So well, I'm looking s- forward to my mid nineties, man. Yeah. Every day. Jeez, they're just called fashions at that <laughs> yeah, point. You're yeah. already old enough, True, but I, I want to kind of like take that idea of ceremony and talk mm. about your background in anthropology because you went to school, uh, you know, and that's the studying of other cultures through many different lenses and, right. you know, uh, from, you know, different sciences from you know so many outside influences and that that's informed you especially just talking about you know old fashions and and the way of ceremony right you know that that's not how food was talked about even 10 years ago like there wasn't that much there were there were food writers out there obviously but sydney mince tell me about this fella and how that 
person influenced you? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what planted the seed. Like, I it was in college studying anthropology, and then I found out about food anthropology. I found people studying other cultures through their food ways, through what they eat, through what they don't eat, through what taboos there are, you know. Um, and uh, I just found that super interesting. That's obviously not what I'm doing now. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Um, doing but now. yeah, yeah, I mean, I do think it informs what I do in the sense that I really like the weird little corners of the food world and finding, you know, these these tiny little angles, sort of that really unique color in the prism of a story that everybody is covering and, and finding this um, weird way to cover it. And the same the same thing Sydney, <laughs> my old pal Sydney, yeah. Sydney um, did, you know, studying a single food or commodity such as sugar, um, you know, doing an analysis of a history of a single commodity um, and sort of prying open the the history of the entire world and social relationships and human behavior around that. So, um, again, I, I'm no academe, but uh, this this did plant the seed for sort of going specific and deep into... into uh, things about food yeah, but beyond the, the food itself because honestly sometimes and I don't know apologies but I get a little sick of talking about food sometimes about food just as agreed. food you know, you know I live kind of on the subsidiary as well yeah that, that I think the food scene's about you know a, a lot of the cogs of the industry rather than the industry as a whole mm-hmm. it's, it's not necessarily about the trends but uh, about you know those that understand how to interpret those trends right or or have influenced those trends priorly and you know, having a background in anthropology, having that kind of foundation is kind of like going to culinary school before you cook. Right. You know, and right. you're able to talk about something so singularly and in such depth because you understand it in this greater scope or, you know, with so much more depth than than, than most would. So it's not your best burger list. <laughs> right. I mean, the same thing to, to just share another writer's name in case people want to look into this stuff. Um, Margaret Visser, her book, Much Depends on Dinner, was another book that really influenced me because she... She takes sort of an ordinary American meal, I guess, at the time. Um, It consisted of corn, salt, butter, chicken, rice, uh, and lettuce. And she goes course by course. Um, You know, each chapter is is one of those food items. And she she goes into the history and mythology and taboos behind those things. Um, So it's it's 300 pages on nine nine food items. Yeah. But super interesting because it goes beyond, obviously the food item itself i mean um, with yahoo food how many items are up at the page well it's a constant it's an infinite <laughs> scrolling number of things up on yahoo food yeah so you get to kind of you know pique your interests in whatever you want to do yeah. every single day yeah i mean of course we have a certain reader in mind who we're trying to to serve um but I think what's really unique about what we're doing at Yahoo Food is that we do have these content partnerships and, and we also do have these you know, great food editors in-house. And so we're producing our own content and then we're also kind of cherry picking the best um, stories from other you know, food media brands out there. Bon Appetit, um, Food & Wine, Martha Stewart. Yeah, and we judged that list when we came in. I mean, this was a whole new... Um, you know, relatively new initiative, all these kind of new magazine verticals at Yahoo Food. And uh, we launched in January and we we sort of weed whacked the the pre-existing list of content partners and um, now have found ones that we feel like really fit what we're trying to do. And and the idea is that we are sort of scanning everything and and 
giving the best to you, including our own stories. And uh, it's sort of like a one-stop shop for a certain kind of person for the food news of the day. Um, it's so, great, though, because yeah. it's not aggregate where a lot of sites have been in the past. It's like added aggregate because there is, like you said. We're curating it. Yeah. yeah. and But there's new content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's in-house content. It's kind of like right. going to a restaurant these days and expecting homemade and housemade things. Mm-hmm. It almost should happen that in food media as well. You can't right. just cobble together the best of the best. You have to personally make something that's of that ilk as well. Right. That, that's what seemingly you guys are, are doing at the moment. Hopefully. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a work in progress. <laughs> I've, been, I've been enjoying it because it, it kind of runs the breadth of ideas too from you know, design to, you know, singular ingredient to fashion to trends to, I mean, it, it's endless. And yeah. That's I think they did a smart job at, you know, we're a small team, but I think they hired people who are coming from different perspectives and, and hopefully, yeah, that shows that we balance each other out. So check it out. We're going to take a quick break All and right. come back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Happy 200. following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Welcome back to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. Here again today with Julia Bainbridge, food editor at Yahoo Food. And Jack, I must say, that that was an amazing overvoice for the S. Wallace & Sons uh, you know, ham company, because I don't think you need to go to the website. All you need to know is pure white fat marbled. I mean, like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> what else do you need to know? It is, Suriano is one of my favorite hams. Thank you again for sponsoring the show. Back to me Yahoo too, Food. Me too. Yes. Yeah, Julia was a big fan even before she knew it was our sponsor. But back to Yahoo Food because there's so much to cover. Again, it is this infinite scrolling list of just kind of amazing things. Very visual, giffy, uh, you know, flashing in your face kind of yes. thing. <laughs> don't like that so much we're sticking to it yeah. i think most people like it i mean i do like you know you go to the page and it kind of has that pinteresty look of you know tiles um and and hopefully that's working to entice people i mean you know you come to the page and you see an image and a headline and you see that that's really what you're seeing at the front door and so hopefully that lures you to click into one place or the other um 
And I think the GIFs being able to move in line, you know, on the homepage like that, um, uh, yeah, hopefully are entertaining. I think it makes the page look alive, but uh, I realize it can also be a little stress inducing. So. <laughs> Only for the epileptic, it's fine. Um, every day there's something new. And recently, I think this past weekend, you threw a party at your house. Tell me about it. <laughs> To, about how it turned into something for Yahoo Food or just it? Uh, the party itself and how it did turn into yeah. something because it, it was kind of an amazing collection of people and ideas. Well, thanks. Gosh, I mean, I think uh, I'm lucky that I've been around for a little while now in New York and in this scene. And so uh, I find that women especially, sorry, but, I, you know, this was a lady Sunday dinner party. And I find that women in New York were, like, constantly picking each other up. Like, I feel like I've picked up more chicks at bars than dudes <laughs> because it's like, you just, I don't know, we're connectors. I'm always meeting people and they say, oh, I have this friend who, you know, does such and such. And I think you'd be interested. And, you know, you meet a girl, another girl for a coffee and you sort of create all these helpful relationships. Anyway, this was sort of like a an en masse um, lady connector supper, you know, um, and a lot of these women who I've met over the years who are interested in fashion, are interested in food and, you know, who are successful and who are smart. And I just wanted to get them all. Um, I mean, not all of them. It was a it was a, a certain group of them, but uh, in one place. And then Sunday supper is something I love to do because um, it starts at five in the winter months. It starts at four. Uh, you come that early, you get sort of fat and happy and well fed uh, have a few hours to hang out, and then you're back in your bed uh, by nine or so, nine or ten, and you ha- are, you know, it's a good start to the work week, I think, you know, so you're not out too late, and it sort of sets you, I guess that's the sort of mothering <laughs> instinct in me, I don't know, um, but, and I threw it in conjunction with my friend Peyton, um, she and her husband have a wallpaper company called Flat Vernacular, and they've also launched um, another company called Department of Decoration, and uh, they are doing little um, home decorating collections room by room, and they started with the dining room, and um, I'm really down with their designs because they're all about pattern and color, and while I love I love a Scandi situation, you know, I, I love me some burlap and some, some um, sort of creams on beige, I'm getting a little tired of it, and I really just want, like, some some color so we had you know every you know neon color under the sun sort of uh, on the table um with the food and with the decor so it was just like a celebration of these of these people and of color and of good food and um that's about it i don't think kimberly hasselbrink yes kimberly hasselbrink so her cookbook is called vibrant food and that sort of fit the color theme perfectly which wasn't meant to be a theme it just sort of fell together that way it happened that um that uh it was all about uh vibrance vibrant people vibrant um colors and uh yeah she's man it's like i found her or we found her when i was at bon appetit years ago and um i think i think that at the time, this was kind of a labor of love. Like maybe she had a different day job and was kind of food blogging and taking photos. And then she's just, you know, now she does this full time. She has a cookbook. She's, you know, produces beautiful photographs that she gets paid to take professionally. I mean, she's just, she's just incredible and has her, she has soared. Um, so this is a great cookbook celebrating, you know, seasonal cooking. And, and I cooked from that. Another wonderful thing that came out of that party and 
you know, found itself on the Yahoo food was a little tip for all hostesses about bare feet. Yeah. With my <laughs> stinking feet on there. Um, yes. Okay. So this is something from my grandmother that, that, um, I took, uh, she loves to be barefoot. Um, and, and so do I, uh, she, she cooks barefoot and so do I. And I do think, um, yeah, I do think there's a certain sort of you you indicate to your guests that there's a certain like nonchalance or certain you know to be comfortable. It's sort of like the equivalent of letting your hair down, you know. So maybe your guests want to take their shoes off. Um, great, you know. I I always like when people sort of drink a little too much, say a little too much, stay a little too long, and it just sort of seems to go along with that. Plus, honestly, uh, you know, bare feet go with everything because there's no, like, color or shoe that might conflict with your dress, and dresses are very important to me. Um, and uh, and you can be really stable on your feet. I mean, the, this is the reason why people are now running shoeless or running in those sort of, like, mock shoes, you know, because there's so many bones in your feet uh, that that exist to, to help support you. So I find that when I'm running back and forth from room to room and chopping things and searing things and filling wine glasses. I mean, it's, it's more comfortable to be. Uh, oh, I agree. Foot, I so. even extend it as far as I often cook shirtless, which, which my wife doesn't oh, always like. Because I haven't seen that at yeah, your house. Well, she, she's always worried because I'm not the, I'm kind of a hairy guy. Megan, and don't be so conservative. And there's oil and there's all these things, but. Oh, so she's I, protecting you. Yeah, more so yeah. than doesn't want to see it, I right, think. Right, right. But I, I also cook barefoot a decent amount of the time as well. Don't so. you feel like the product is better that way? Absolutely. Yeah, we should do a side by side. We should really make it scientific. Barefoot versus shirtless. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's Megan, home, I'm coming over. That's, that's a whole nother show. Um, <laughs> Yahoo Food also does a lot of current reported pieces mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, gives props to the community, but also makes people aware of certain things. Like you guys cover the Marinesa fire, you know, in Los Gatos with its such sincerity. Uh, you know, th- that was, you know, just, it's so nice to see that sometimes within all this other crazy media that happens, but that you're honorific of the industry as a whole. Um, yeah, I mean, something like that. I mean, thank you for that. And, um, you know, I think we're trying, we wouldn't cover it straight because we're a national, you know, we have a national audience. And um, we also have an audience who, while they care about eating good food, they're not like chef fangirls. They're not, or, you know, or fan guys. They're not sort of as crazy about <clears throat> the industry as um, we editors are. Um, so you have to take a story like that. And if you want to cover it, figure out a way to make it appeal. And so that was sort of an opportunity for us to talk about, here's really what a fire does to a restaurant here. You know, it's, it's not just that you're out of work for a few days and you have to pay some, some, you know, rehab, you know, fees for the space. It's, it's all the rest of it. You know, it's, uh, your employees aren't making money during that time. It's, uh, it's the farmers aren't making money because you're not paying them for onions during those however many weeks or days, you know. So um, it was a way to to clue our readers into um, how devastating something like that can be. We're on the slightly lighter side of Verite. You also mm-hmm. did a day in the life of Mission Cantina, a one star restaurant. Review. Right, right. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's the same kind of idea. It's like when you have uh, 
a paper with such influence and you know reviewers with such uh, who, who are such a big deal as as the ones at the New York Times when you get a one star review what does that what does that mean for the restaurant like how does that change how many people are calling in for the next couple of weeks how does you know w- w- really how you know, really look in a real way at how, how that affects the restaurant. Um, that could be hard to get information, you know, to report on, of course, because the restaurant doesn't want to talk about it. Or, you know, I mean, in the case of the Menresa thing, it's like I wanted to get an idea of numbers. Um, uh, you know, how much do you make in a day before versus now when you're not, you know, so how much are you not making? And that's hard information to get, of course, and it's sensitive information to ask for. But we, you know, we, we try. I tried. And <laughs> I think it was... You and I got to collaborate on a piece about Mr. Softy. Yes. Where, again, it was very real-life numbers, statistics, but meeting personalities and characters of people that frequent the truck. Or, for a few, it was their first time. Yeah. I haven't yet gotten... We need to, after this, like have the inside scoop on some of the characters you didn't include in that. But um, (laughs) There, There surely were some. But, yes, I mean, I think, like, Mr. Softy, or whether Mr. Softy is everywhere or not, everyone has an ice cream truck, right? So... Um, it's something everyone can relate to. It's, you know, all of the media is talking about ice cream right now because it's the summer. And so how can we, how can we capitalize on that trending topic in a way that's really touching in a way that's entertaining? And that was having your, um, wonderful photos of, of people from all walks of life. You know, you had kids, you had, um, professors you had you know a whole range of people people who go there every day people who it was their first time um and uh just little snapshots into into that sort of pleasure moment of their days um it's the great equalizer we said mr softy truck let's actually talk about another equalizer it's a series that you created which is your first oh uh yes so this is you know i think for, for again for our readers um they, they they cook, but maybe aren't expert cooks, maybe aren't uh, making the kinds of things that you, Michael, make at home. Um, so this is sort of, it's... it's Shirtless. <laughs> shirtless, yeah. yeah. Um, this is sort of your, your first go at a next level dish um, that might have otherwise intimidated you, but here's a, an easy... Uh, relatively easy recipe that will sort of hold your hand through that process. So that's whether it's like rolling sushi at home or making a yeasted, uh, you know, yeasted dough bread um, or a layer cake, which uh, can be intimidating um, because you know you have this idea in your head that you have how perfect you want it to look, and it isn't always that way in practice. So so they're kind of the 101 versions of um, each of these um, recipe types to to uh, open its arms to you <laughs> you know another series is how bad is it really and before the episode you asked me if i ever had deviled ham and i thought it was one of those I thought you were no, saying no deviled ham is great I've i never, bet the Suriana people would it. say the same thing yeah i've never but, had uh, ham. yeah i don't you know what honestly i haven't looked at the ingredients and i'm sure it's sort of like spam in the way that it's great and you you um you i you self-identify as a deviled ham eater you know and feel very proud of it but i'm sure it's just horrible stuff in there but i mean it's basically like cured ham blitzed up with more salt and something that makes it spreadable and it's just like a ham spread well you talk Um, about i think three things four things and how bad is it really that i actually really like oh yeah yeah i can't remember i love marmite okay love love marmite i don't know i was around a whole bunch of 
Australian, New uh-huh. Zealand, rugby players when I was younger. Right. And they all ate Vegemite and Marmite and that kind of stuff. I actually really like cream caviar in a tube. Me too. I, I pretty much, when I travel, pick up as many condiments as possible. And the more toothpaste looking, the better. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, within that, people have their brands. Like, we tasted that Callus caviar. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I talked to Andrew Knowlton, whose who's wife is... Um, I forget where she's from exactly. But she grew up with that stuff. And supposedly that's like the plebe brand. <laughs> um, whoops. <laughs> but um, so they have their favorites. And I forget what that is. I'm not being very helpful to you listeners. But um, Haggis. Haggis, which I love. But that's partly like the Scottish roots in me. But um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's hard to get good haggis here and there are all kinds of you can't regulations. Get real haggis yeah, you here. can't get real you can't haggis. You can't have lungs in haggis. Right. Lungs have been uh, not USDA approved right. since so It ends up being really like oily and fatty and yeah. doesn't have that sort of the real like gamey, gutsy goodness. Durian. Um, durian, I mean, I, 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 no one's ever going to win this argument against me. I just think it's horrible and I've never had it. I mean, it, yeah. it's like... It's like gasoline. It kind of tastes and smells like gasoline. And not in that good way. Like, you know how... I mean, oh, I kind yeah. of like the smell of gasoline when you're at the... You know, filling up your car or whatever. But just not when you're thinking sweet, fresh melon. I don't know. No, 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 I, not I, something I, I want to I worked to at a restaurant. And if you had to prep the durian, you had to go outside. And there was a table hmm. set up across the lot, which was only for durians. I mean, it wasn't even associated with the restaurant, it seemed. Right. But that's where you open up your durians. Right. But uh, they're kind of exciting ornaments to have at the house until they split. And right. So you're with me on yes, the durian camp. I agree. Right. Um, and natto, I'm not sure where I am yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, again, these, you know, we had a little panel and we tasted um, just once or twice. So there's definitely more um, different I, types of yeah. tasting to be had. My sister-in-law, who's Japanese, is, is a huge fan and eats it all the time. But a lot of these things, it's like, do you really like it or do you do it? Yeah. Because it's a pride. You know, you... <laughs> well, I mean, like, I, I can do texture more than I can do flavor mm. more often. So texture doesn't bother me. And natto, I don't feel like has a ton of, like, smell to it. Whereas you do something like stinky to- tofu, and it just, like, coats the inside of your nose in a way. And mm. I... I have a little bit of stinky tofu here and there, and I try to eat more and more, but I'm realizing that there's no immunity to it. You either like it or you don't. Right. Right. Not equalizers. No. Dividers. Design, which is a very important part of your life. You were talking about flat vernacular before, and anyone that's been over to your house and in your bathroom knows how amazing that wallpaper <laughs> is. But amazing. You, it, you've Psychedelic. also collected this list of wallpaper in restaurants uh, oh, yeah. of... of you know, horseshoe-shaped bars. Like, how important is the aesthetic of, of setting a scene to you when it comes to food? Yeah, very important. But I, I can't be that articulate about this. I just feel like, you know, I other than my caring about how things look and my caring about the environment I'm in, honestly. Um, and, and that comes to the plating of the food, too. I mean... Um, Sometimes that's almost more fun to me than cooking it or eating it is starting with that canvas of a blank plate and figuring out how to put things on there. Um, And and you can change it based on the moods, just like you can change your dress. You know, I could be one person one day and one person another, depending on the mask or the dress I'm wearing. You know what I mean? But I I don't wear masks. Yeah, I I was about to. (laughs) I meant dresses as masks. (laughs) Um, uh, I mean, 
not before 3 p.m. Yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, but let's go back to these plating tips because yeah. I know you did a piece with Paul Key of or yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Key, Key, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, talk about somebody who's aesthetically, you know, driven. Uh, he. He's got kind of this mad genius brain, so you know sometimes you really have to, to interview him and get tips out of him. You really have to like keep driving away because all of this is so natural to him, and he do, you know it's like um, to turn it into tips that are really servicey and useful for people takes a little bit of doing. But man, um, he he just creates beautiful, you know, beautiful little landscapes almost with his food, and he's really into age symmetry, uh, which I am too. I find that more pleasing um, f- for no other reason than that, and just like. How, the, how it looks better. Um, so I'm trying to think of what other tips. Uh, uh, honestly, we post so much that it like goes away yeah. from my... Yeah, beauty in the blankness. That's yeah. one of my favorite... You know, the, the use of negative Thank space. Thank you for telling me what Being a I photographer, wrote. it's a very important thing as well. Right. You know, you learn the rule of thirds and then you learn how to use negative space in this very striking way. But right. you can't just have a ton of negative space and you have to be able to reinforce it with what you put in frame. Right. And that has to be as strong as the negative space. Right. So, but, and he has a, like a pretty singular aesthetic, at least with this restaurant. I mean, we'll see what he does in the future. But um, for me, the fun in in plating is that you can do it differently depending on what you're feeling like and depending on what the food is. So whether you do that kind of minimal um, asymmetrical plating um, with a lot of blank space or you make a kind of beautiful mess or you overload the plates, you know, with like a cornucopia of items or whatever. I mean, it, it's really fun to to play around. Take that cornucopia, go more myopic, and let's talk about these trends. <laughs> Botarga and ancient grains. Both oh, recently well, mentioned on Yahoo Food as, as, you know, go-to items. Yeah, I mean, that's just... Yeah, I mean, I, I've just seen, you know, a lot of it. We, ha- we do have a trend piece uh, series called We're Seeing It Everywhere. Um, and honestly, it's just because we're, you know, as editors, as people in this industry, we <clears throat> are out and about sort of uh, sniffing and tasting what professionals are doing. Um, and while I said our readers aren't particularly interested in, you know, chefs as as people, they're interested in chefs as experts in their fields. Um, and so certainly we do interview a lot of chefs for their tips on on cooking and um, one of those was Batarga. It's just like, you know, you may know about Batarga, but not all of our people do. So this was a, a way to um, introduce that to them was this little video on how to use it. And I mean, talk about, I guess, some people. That could have been a how bad is it really, maybe. A lot of yeah. people don't like that sort of funk. But they're, um, they're so willing to have caviar, yet not the cured roast sack right. of fish. Right. It's, it's a funny once removed kind of pantry item. Yeah. Um, but I'm obsessed with Batarga. Batarga, yeah. Ancient grains like Kamut. Well, that, so, I mean, again, it's just sort of keeping your, you know, consistently taking the temperature of what's going on in in the professional food world. Um, uh, and so that came from Chad at Tartine um, because he wrote a book all about making breads with ancient grains and just uh, how how different the texture and the flavor and, you know, the, the variety of results you can have by using these different grains. I mean, it's just a great time that we have access to all this stuff. Right. So, uh, that was less, uh, from my brain and more from his. So that, that's kind of what we're doing. I mean, we say we're almost like the hosts at a cocktail party where we, we invite our readers and we have access to all these, um, great brains and we're, we're sort of making the connection and translating 
those great brains tips into something that, um, you know, anyone can understand and then use and apply. Well, thank um, you for being our mediator, our liaison <laughs> to all that is good in the world. And you can see more of Julia's work on Yahoo Food. Uh, interact with her on Twitter. You're very good at the social media. Oh, Maybe thanks. send tips, uh, you know, trends. Yeah, Google. holler. At Julia Bainbridge. All one, all one word. There it is. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Heritage, for, you know, making 200 shows. Uh, Do I see a tear? No, not at all. It's allergies <laughs> this time of year. Um, I mean, I, I'm, again, so thankful to be able yes. to have this opportunity. So if I weren't a robot, I would cry. <laughs> Thank you again. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Congrats. Bye. Heritage Food USA. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the itunes store by searching heritage radio network you can like us on facebook and follow us on twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org heritage radio network is a 501c3 nonprofit. to donate and become a member visit our website today thanks for listening